All right, well, as we uh, get ready to, to look at God's Word tonight, there's a half sheet of paper on that back table. If you didn't get one coming in, uh, we're going to use as a set, of, a set of notes, so feel free to, uh, free to grab that. As we get started, uh, we're going through a series looking at how do we understand the authority of Scripture as God's Word in a culture and a world that is so skeptical of authority, especially skeptical of religious authority. So we've been going for six weeks now, um, and we've gone through this pattern. Is the Bible divine? Did it come from God? Is the Bible inspired? Was it given from God through human authors? Is it true? Is it sufficient, or do we need something else? Is it clear, meaning is it understandable? And then tonight, is the Bible good? We're drawing this from this 2017 secret church study that David Platt did in the spring. Uh, many of us weren't able to be a part of that, my, myself included, but all that material is online. You can watch the videos, you can see all the, uh, uh, the notes and material online at radical.net, their, their website. So we just followed this pattern through and tried to, tried to make it our own. Tonight, I want you to see, as we get started, a four-minute video clip. We're going to do a shorter video clip tonight, uh, but I want you to see David talking about the goodness of God's Word. Uh, we know he kind of talks fast and things like that, but he tells a good story that I think describes what it means for God's Word to be good. So we're going to watch this short video clip and then we're going to start looking uh, in the book of Romans, starting in chapter 8 here in just a minute. So let's watch this video clip, and then we'll, we'll continue uh, with Bible study. So how do you get a hunger for God's Word? Here's the answer. You read God's Word, and the hunger grows the more you're in it. It's kind of like, I remember my, my wife and I, the first time I ever went over to her house to eat um, I grew up in a house where nobody—we uh, we never ate seafood. My dad didn't like seafood. He hated seafood, so we all hated seafood. Well, I'd go over to her house to eat, and you'll never guess what they're serving. Seafood. Like a spread of seafood. And it's like, oh, Mr. and Ms. Barlow, this is great. Uh, oh, this looks so—and so I'm like, well, i got to make a good impression. So I just down the seafood, and I'm like, oh, this is so good. Thank you all so much. And the only problem is they bought it. So the next time I went over to the house, they're having dinner, and they're like, oh, let's have seafood. David loves seafood. We'll have seafood. It's like, oh, yes, thank you guys. It's very thoughtful. And so then, and then we, we would, I started going on like vacation with their family down to the beach, and they'd be like, oh, David, what's your favorite seafood places? And I'm like, Ah, oh, they're all so good. <laughs> I'm thinking, I know where the good burgers are. I just don't know any seafood places. So uh, anyway, now the end of that story is today I love seafood. You know why? Because I had to eat it to get a wife. Like, that's why. So, <laughs> <laughs> the point is, so don't, but the, the analogy breaks down. It's not like I'm saying, well, the word, like it doesn't taste good, just kind of eat it and it'll get better at some point. That's not the point. The point is, the more you feast on something, the more your appetite for it grows. So don't be shocked and surprised when you spend hours on your phone doing other things, on the internet, on TV, doing all kinds of other things, and then you go to God's Word and you don't have an appetite for it. Now, don't be surprised. Your stomach's full with all the stuff this world offers you. You start feasting on this, though, it changes everything. And your appetite for the things of this world will go down. Your appetite for the goodness of God's Word will go up. It's kind of like my kids. Like my kids, when we get to their birthday, it's like, we'll take you anywhere you want to eat. And what do they say? 
McDonald's. Are you serious? Anywhere. Like, they could go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Like, that's technically on the table. Uh, instead, they choose processed hamburger meat. Why is that? Well, it's because they've never tasted Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And, and that actually is a good thing at this point, so I have no desire to really expose McDonald's is much better for the budget. So, uh, uh, not a lot radical about Ruth's Chris, but uh, the, the picture is once they taste something, they're going to be like, why did I ever choose McDonald's, right? Because it's better. So it's better, it's better, it's better. So implications for our lives will find life in this book. And then in our homes, if all of this is true about God's Word, then we need a verbal commitment to the Word in our homes and a visible commitment to the Word in our homes. That's what Deuteronomy is talking about. Teach my words diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the way, when you lie down, when you get up, write them on the doorpost of your house. We must teach the Scriptures in our homes. Parents, do not merely farm this out to programs in the church. Programs in the church are helpful, but they need to hear the Word of God from you every day. He's commanded us to teach our children that the next generation might know the Word of God, the works of God. We tell the stories of who God is, how God has worked in the world. We warn against sinfulness based on those who have gone before us. That's what Psalm 78 is all about, and we exalt the Savior. In your teaching of the Word in your home, point to Jesus. Point to Jesus over and over and over again. Everything centers around Him. Implications for studying and memorizing in our lives and our homes. Then, we'll get to then next week. So, yeah, we'll go, we'll go there next week. Is the Bible good? Um, what is the danger of communicating with our lives or uh, with our words that the Bible is not good? Or not treating it as something that we desire, something that fills us up, something that we want to consume. What's the danger of not approaching it in that way? Yeah, we, we, we've lost what we need. I think that's absolutely one of the reasons. If we don't count it as good, you know, how are we ever going to trust it in the moment of battle? What's another problem with not counting God's Word as good? You're looking for something else. You need something, so something you have to count as good. Something's going to fill you up. Uh, that's why you always tell your kids, you know, you, you can't eat that because if you eat that, it's going to fill you up, and you're not going to get what you really need. Um, that idea, yeah, so if you don't see God's Word as good, you're going to go off to everything else. What are some other problems with not counting God's Word as good? Yeah, that gets at the core of it for sure. I mean, if you notice on, on your notes there, the logic of goodness, it kind of skip. you have to go down about a third of the way. It gets a little further into the notes. But the logic of goodness is God is good, the Bible is God's word, so the Bible is good. Working backward, the Bible is not good. If we don't treat the Bible as good, in a sense we're saying God is not good uh, because the Bible is God's word for sure. You know, the other problem with not counting God's Word as good, not, not acting as if God's Word is good, it really discounts the previous five weeks. What does it matter if you understand the Bible, you act like it's all you need, you consider it true, you think that it was inspired and it came from God, but you don't consider it to be good or we don't act like it's good. We, we invalidate everything that we've said beforehand. You've wasted five weeks if we don't come to the end and say, and this is good. 
This is exactly what I crave. This is what I need. This is everything that I want to fill up my life right here. And so we can't say intellectual true things about the Bible and then not count it as good. Those things, those things don't, go, don't go together. You don't have that hunger for it. Another question that's on your, your page here, but what causes people, and this is not just, in the, I guess we're thinking more culturally, societally here, socially, what causes people to say God's word is not good? Why do people not count the Bible as good? What are some things that lead that? I'm sorry. Peer pressure. So if other people say, don't listen to that, pretty soon you're going to think, eh, I don't need to listen to that. Yeah, Stephen? Yeah, so the offense of Scripture, people are offended by what they read, and so they they call it not good. We're always... uh, not going to consider something to be good usually if it offends us. And so then you're, you're at that point of, well, it's not good because it offends me. That doesn't make it not good, but in the moment it doesn't. You're right. What are some specific things in the Bible that people struggle with? Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, Sally brings up an important point here. Uh, the wars and the killing, the genocide. So we are going through the book of Joshua in the Old Testament on Sunday mornings, and we're going to spend several weeks in November talking about how can a good God tell the people to go out and kill all these other people. Um, And so people read the Bible, and they see that, and they say, well, I don't want anything to do with a God like that, and they run away from the Bible. There's good answers to those questions, but on the surface, that's a reason people reject Scripture for sure. What are you going to say, Phyllis? Yeah, so it goes back to the previous week. How can you consider it good if you don't understand it? Yeah, it's just a religious book. Yeah. That's why Amanda makes me eat my vegetables at the table. Like, the kids need to see you eating this, like, you know, so that they'll want to eat this. Man. My, my story, like, uh, David was telling... Before Amanda and I were dating, and that's a key part of this intro, but before we were dating, I went to a, a prom in St. Louis with, with a girl and got there, and they were all eating salad. Who eats salad at a prom? I have no idea, but they were all eating salad. I hate salad with a passion, but you eat it. You figure out how to, how to make it happen. So, uh, Carol, were you going to Yeah. So it doesn't seem good. How could that God be good? Some of the social things that are big in our culture, if, if you want something to be true and then you go to the Bible and find it is opposite there, you consider the Bible not to be good. You know, the Bible is considered bigoted in a lot of areas. It's considered, we've already talked about the word offensive, that idea. How can you uphold Scripture as good if all these other things are happening um, or all these other ideas are, are going around you in culture. So anyway, that kind of sets the stage for what we're talking about. Is the Bible good? What, what do we mean when we say that the Bible is good? On your, on your page there, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, 24 to 25, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive. So we have indications in Scripture that God's Word is always for our good. 
This takes us to Romans chapter 8 now. So if you have your Bible open um, or have access to the Bible on your phone, I want us to look at a couple of places in Romans that talk about the goodness of God and talk about the Word of God and how these, how these ideas go, go together. So Romans chapter 8, we're going to start back in verse 18 just to get a long-running start for the verse that we're trying to get to, but these verses that come beforehand are important. So this is Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay, let's stop right there really quickly to make sense of what's coming next. Because this applies to goodness. How can you say that God is good and that God's word is good when you look around at the world and you see so much evil? Um, So one of the reasons people struggle with God being good and the Bible being good is because they see this, it's supposed to be good. Then they look at the world and they see all this evil. In a world with so many bad things happening, how could God be good? I've used this phrase before, I'll use it again, I just think it's very helpful. This is that idea, that old idea of already, not yet. What can be seen right now, but what is not yet seen. So we can say God is good, even though right now in the present, what we see with our eyes doesn't show the fullness of all that good is going to happen. When you're going through a hard time in life, you're saying, I believe God is good, even though right now I don't feel that, or I don't see that with my eyes, or I'm not experiencing that fully. I know that this is true. Uh, Some people would call that blind, dumb faith, but you're saying, no, there's something else here. I really do believe God is good, even though right now it may not look like it to other people. So keep that idea in mind. You go to Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the creation waits for eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, now we're up to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So in Romans 8.28, we have a promise here that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How does that idea right there, that all things work together for good according to God's purposes, how does that idea help us understand the goodness of Scripture? So let's tie those two things together and and talk through this for a second. How does Romans 8.28 help us understand the goodness of Scripture? Anything come to mind? Any observations uh, stand out to you there? It's okay if not, but curious how you would put those two 
two things together. Not every single thing that happens, he, he'll work together for good. Um, which I think helps us get to the idea of how is it that certain things come into life and Scripture will say rejoice in all things, consider all joy when you face trials. It's not that that particular trial is counted as good, but it's that God is good in that moment or he's going to use that for his good. Uh, I, think, I think that gets us going the right direction. Anybody else? Something stick out from that, that verse? Yeah, so you see those things happen like that, and how do you say, I know all that pain, all that suffering that people experience, and yet in some way God brought good, good from that. Uh, Austin, our oldest daughter, she got hurt in gymnastics a few weeks ago, and we're not recovering well, we're not getting any better, she's not able to do gymnastics, and her whole world revolves around gymnastics right now, and so we were talking about this verse at home, uh, God causes all things to work together for good. Uh, so what does a 10-year-old say to that? Well, she says, I don't see that, Dad. <laughs> like, uh, I know it's right there. I know the Bible says that, but I, it doesn't feel good right now. I don't see anything good happening. And so what you're doing at that point is you're trying to teach your kids that even though right now you don't see this, God is at work in certain ways. He is bringing this all together. One of the things that helps us to do on the Bible is if you read particular sections of the Bible without reading it as a part of the whole, you're right. It's not going to be very good. Um, but when you read it within the scope of all that God is doing from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, then the goodness becomes apparent. Well, this is true of our lives. If you take single points of your life, you would say, that was not very good. But when you see the full scope of how God is at work, you can say, and he is good and his plans are good, and he really does work all things together for good. Um, this idea of what it means to trust him uh, as being good. And so uh, when you have a 10-year-old who's struggling with, is God good, how could this happen? You're saying, you gotta step back and see the big picture. When you're 10, you don't see the big picture. When you're 35, you don't see the big picture very well either. When you're 75, you still have trouble seeing the big picture, but you can see a little more of it. This is, what it, this is what it means for, for God to be good. And so I think when you're talking to people about the goodness of God, you're trying to help them see the big picture, see all that, that God is doing. Let's look at one other place in Romans that, that talks about this. Romans chapter 12. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, is where we're going to end up, end up looking. On this idea of God's goodness and the way it works. Uh, there's a Christian philosopher who talks about this particular, if someone says this is not the best possible world, uh, sometimes people will argue against the existence of God because they'll say, if this is God's goodness, I don't want any part of it. The response to that is, as we experience this world right now, it doesn't have to be the best possible world. It just has to be the best way to the best possible world. And so if you take all of God's plans and you just look at everything that we face right in front of us, you're right. It's, it's going to not look particularly good. But if God is working a greater plan, if there's more going on, people say, well, I, I don't see it. You're right. It, 
it takes faith. It really does. Um, but not a blind faith. It's a, it's a faith that's built on these promises that, that God has given us. And so with that idea of goodness in mind, look at Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's the parts that we want to put together at this point. God's word is good. God's will is good. So what God has told us, what God wills for his people, God's will is good. What we're called to do is not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed so that we'll know what God's good will is. Which brings up the question, how do I know God's will for my life? And how can I know that God's will for my life is good? This is where you have to go back to distinguishing, and there are a lot of different ways that you can you can use the phrase. Paul, do you remember the phrasing that we ran into that one time? Um, yeah, I can't think of the exact word. So here's the idea. I'll just explain it out. When we think of God's will, we're thinking in, in kind of two ways. We're thinking of those specific decisions that you're making about elements in your life. Who should I marry? Where should I live? What job should I have? Uh, what should I eat for dinner tonight? You know, those, those type of things. We're talking about those, those decisions. Then we're thinking of God's will in more of a character sense, that what God has willed for his people is that we be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would be sanctified, that we would live full of the Holy Spirit. And so you have two different ideas of God's will. And this is where it's so important for teenagers, especially and college students, when they're thinking about God's will. Most of the time when they ask, what is God's will for my life, what do they mean? College, dating, where am I going to live, those type of things. That's what they mean by God's will. That element of God's will, though, has to flow from the character aspect of God's will. God's ultimate will for our life is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would be holy. That is his good will. And as you're shaped according to that will, then when you have those decisions to make, then you're going to have the wisdom to be able to make those decisions and know God's will for my life that I'm holy, that's good. That is a good plan that God has for me. And when I need to make decisions, I'm going to make them out of how God has been transforming my life. Because here's what happens. If you don't have that foundation of God's will for your character, for who you are as a person, then religion, Christianity becomes magic. Because all I really need is for God to help me figure out the next decision. It's never shaping me internally. I just externally need an answer to get me to the next place in life. And I've I'm, I'm never come truly face-to-face with what God's will for my life is internally. That he would shape me according to his goodness. Uh, when we were trying to uh, make the decision really two years ago at this time about do we stay in Bay St. Louis, do we come to uh, this place called Emmaus in Oklahoma City, we're trying to make this decision. You're, you're asking the question, what is God's will for my life? And I just continued to go back over and over again to all I could do at that point is pursue holiness, live fully for the Lord, seek to be in his word. 
Because otherwise, you get into a situation of magic. I just want God to tell me what to do next so I can keep going with life. And that gets really dangerous because what you miss is you really miss the core of his goodness. Um, and really, life is made up of a thousand little decisions along the way. And how we handle those decisions is what prepares us to make those big decisions. If you have to make a decision with your job, if you're trying to decide whether to retire or not, if you're trying to decide whether to move or not, if you're trying to decide what should I be doing next, you can obsess over, God, give me the answer to that. Or you can say, God, I need you to transform me from the inside out. I want to experience your goodness. I want to experience your will. Because it says there in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world. That's the first way to know God's goodwill because if you're conformed to this world, you're not going to know his goodness. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How does that happen? It happens through God's word, meditating on God's word. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. So it, it has to be discerned. It's not this magic lesson that shows up. It has to be discerned. And you're going to know that it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. It's, it's what God desires for us. Okay, so let's go back to the note sheet just for a minute here as we get ready to wrap up. So how do we experience the goodness? This is right in the middle, underneath those Deuteronomy verses. How do we experience the goodness of God's Word? Well, we're, we read the Bible prayerfully, humbly, carefully, joyfully, confidently, diligently, completely, expectantly, personally, in our homes, in the church. Just trying to search for some ways to think about, this is how we have to approach God's Word. Is this the way we see God's Word as good? Um, What's the relationship between goodness, the goodness of God's word, and our emotions? Uh, this is one of those questions that we run into in church. People say, well, I know God's word is supposed to be good, but I don't always feel that that's the case. How do you handle that personally between I know God is good and I know his word is good, but I don't always feel that? How do we make sense of that as Christians? <laughs> Don't they? Yeah. So I have to go back to the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very well said. I couldn't agree more with that. So, which she gets to the, absolutely to the right point. Our emotions come and go. What does 1 Peter 1 tell us about the word of God that, you know, the the grass withers? The flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, the word of the Lord is forever. So when your emotions are going like this, you need something that's stable. Uh, when you're making a decision, and one day you're moving, the next day you're staying, the next day you're retiring, the next day you're staying, the next day you're dating this person, the next day you're dating this person, you know, your, your emotions are just all over the place. You've got to have something that's constant, something you can come back to and say, in the, midst of not, in the midst of uncertainty, where do I turn? Um, how else do we handle emotions? Any other observations about this? I know God's word is good, but I don't always feel it. Conviction might feel bad. Yeah, that's a great point, Roxy. You go to God's word, conviction might feel bad. I go to God's word because I know it's good. I come away feeling bad. Well, it might not be God's word's fault. You know, it, it might be just where my life is. We know how this works, right? That the time that we most need Scripture, the time we most need the church, 
is the time that we want it the least. We're going the other way because we know if we're confronted by that, that conviction is going to come. And so when we most need the Bible, we most need the church, we're usually quickest to run the other, other direction because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel good at that moment. Um, anything else on, on that? That's something I was thinking about. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, sometimes, this doesn't always work, so we have to be careful with this. Sometimes you have to act your way into a feeling um, that when you do something, you force yourself into that before you know you start to have that feeling uh, come forward. When you begin, you say, I don't really feel like reading Scripture today. Uh, but then you say, you know what, this is a commitment I made. Uh, I know I need God's Word. I need to meditate on God's Word. And you begin to read, and you, it comes alive. <laughs> Had you waited to feel good about reading the Bible, you probably wouldn't have read the Bible at that point. But because you do that, because you read the Bible, you, you act your way into a feeling. Now, I don't want to say it because it's not the idea of faking it. It just means habits help. <laughs> uh, if you are trying to work out, you're trying to exercise, if you're waiting to feel good, to go exercise ain't going to happen. Sometimes you just have to get there to get the endorphins to start going, and then you're like, oh, yeah, remember, I need this to, to, start, to start my day um, to be able to, uh, to do these things. So anyway, I think that's a, another thing with emotions. If you're waiting to feel God's goodness, sometimes it means you just have to read the Bible. Like David said at the very beginning, how do you develop a hunger for God's Word? You read God's Word, <laughs> and the more you do that, the more you start to, f- to feel that going. So what are the effects of trusting God's Word? We've got to wrap up with this. The effects of trusting God's Word is being good. You can know that God's promises are good, that what He says in Scripture you can trust. Uh, I left uh, my English broke down the, on point B under effects, but God's purposes are good. What He desires for your life, His purposes for your life and for His Word, those are good. And God's will is good, uh, the way he's given that to us. So how do we show the goodness of God's word? When we gather for worship, we show God's word to be good. Uh, And I realize we don't always feel emotionally engaged when we gather at 1030 on Sunday morning. uh, But that idea of gathering to say God's word is good and I've come because I need this more than I need anything else um, is a way of counting God's word as good. Uh, When we do preaching, and Bible study, and we pursue holiness, God's word is good. That's what we need for that. He's given us all that we need. And as we do missions and evangelism, we're able to point to Jesus, and we're able to put God's word into dark places because we believe God's word is good, that we can't offer anybody anything that matters apart from the goodness of God's word. There's no good gift that we can give people that even comes close to matching God's word. Um, and so we, we count his word as good. Let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll wrap up. Father, I know that we can, we can talk to friends or family members, people we meet about the Bible, and we can make arguments about why it's true, and we can try to explain it, but we know that your spirit, that you are the one who shows them that you are good. God, that they experience your love and mercy and forgiveness and salvation, your grace. They see that uh, hopefully displayed through our lives and that we would come to know that your word and that your will for our lives is good. That even when we can't see that right now, 
even when we're in a really dark place and we're, we're having trouble making sense of all that's going on around us, we can know that you cause all things to work together for good because you are good. So God, teach us to trust you. Teach us to hunger for and desire your word, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And Father, thank you for the ways that you satisfy us. God, I pray that we would not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.